Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math, see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. With my jokes, I like, of course, laughter, but I also like thought. I like, oh, interesting. I like, never heard that before. I like, hmm, he has something. I like all of that. Inside the laughter. Just getting laughter is nothing. The best one-hour comedy specials are not one hour of comedy. They're 40 minutes of comedy and 15 minutes of, okay, now that I have your attention, I have to say this. I have to deliver this message while I have this platform. So what's the difference between stand-up and humor? I think humor is the whoopee cushion. That's humor. It it tickled your funny bone. Stand-up is public speaking. Stand-up is news reporting. Stand-up is thought-provoking. Stand-up is heartfelt. Stand-up is reflection. But it's not just news reporting. There's a perspective, too. It's the human spirit. It's speaking on the human spirit. It's speaking on the times and where we are as people. And it's, it's really much more than humor. So you okay if I mention you're Chris Rock's brother? <laughs> not a problem. So I got Tony Rock on for a lot of reasons. <laughs> super stand-up comedian. Uh, super funny. I... You should watch all his YouTube clips and go see him on tour. Thank you but so also, much. you're on one of my best friends' TV shows, Living Biblically, inspired yes. by AJ Jacobs' book, yes. The Year of Living Biblically. AJ's been on this podcast like a billion times. 
Uh, did you meet AJ? I the met process? AJ while we were shooting the pilot. Yeah, it's a good guy, right? Good guy, very cool. Very, very good very guy. Cool. I mean, everybody switched religions and everything, and on the show. But you, you do great on the show. You're kind of like the the foil of the main character, Chip. Right. You're sort of like, what are you doing? Yeah, and, I mean, uh, I didn't change religions. My my character is just okay. That you're gonna live that new lifestyle. How is that gonna affect our friendship? Because yeah. I don't want it to change my lifestyle. I don't want it to, you know, bleed over into what I'm trying to do. And that's where the comedy comes in between us two. Yeah. No, I I think he needs that. You know, the 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 show is is great. I encourage you to watch it. It's very different from the book, which right. is AJ's personal experience right. of experimenting with a year of living 100% biblically. You guys do it in, I feel like, is this almost classic sitcom environment, which is in the context of office and family and right. so on, whereas right. AJ doesn't work in an office. And and so they, and you also make it, give it a broader appeal by appealing, you know, appealing to a more, you know, non-Jewish audience, right. you know, just a general religious audience. And he has the God squad that he checks in with to get, yeah. you know, guidance on what he's trying to do. And then we're, the people in the office, they got me, myself and Sarah Gilbert and uh, Cameron Manheim, we're not as religious as the God squad. So we give him a different perspective on why you should or should not do these things. Yeah. And it's really, it's really interesting because obviously this Bible, the, the this Bible, the Bible is, you know, six billion people around the world right. use it as their their, their you know, code of yeah. faith and um we're supposed to live by the, the codes of the bible the rules of the ten commandments right. and all right. the other tenets of the bible and jesus and so on and uh uh and so what do you you know i'm sure for to get into role here and by the way we're going to talk about comedy chris rock your other shows your 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 entire workload i'm really impressed with how productive you are but i'm just curious has this show, like you probably had to read a little bit of the bible to prepare for this show a little did it did, well no did it inspire I, I, you i know you... a little bit of the bible my mm -hmm. grandfather was a preacher i i know my grandfather was a preacher uh in the south then moved to new york you know years and years before i was born and had a little sidewalk church in brooklyn new york uh, I know a little bit of, of the Bible through him. My grandmother on my mother's side, very religious, you know, always sat by the radio and listened to church on Sundays. And we had to be do our chores on Sunday when we stayed with her and sit and listen to the Bible on the radio. And then uh, I have two brothers that are Hebrew Israelites. And I have another brother that is a Muslim. So I Wait, got- Wait, are the Hebrew Israelites, are they the ones that on, that on the corner of 42nd Street? Yes. Like, that's yes. so funny. But, but what you don't know is some of those guys are different like factions, like these guys don't agree with those guys and they say these guys are... I didn't know that. Yeah. So they, they look the same, but some guys are like totally, those guys are incorrect and these guys are correct. And what do they guys, disagree on? Uh, <laughs> a lot of things on lifestyle and some some of the guys try to find ins and outs to try to live more modern and the group that my brothers are in, they, they're they the guys that are like, we have to go 100% by the Bible. Wow. Yeah. So, so you were really, they were so living, they're, they're living before. Biblically. Yeah. So, okay. So for, in the process of doing this show, and of course you, you know so much has, has anything even a little bit changed your life? Like, do you feel like you live biblically a tiny bit more or has anything benefited you? Uh, no, not really. I think, I think any, I think the Bible or the Quran or the, the seventh day Adventist book or whatever your religion is, what the book is, the man, the, 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 this book you subscribe to, that is the, the the thing or the number the, you know the book that that you fo you you follow they're all based on just pretty much being a better person just being a good person and yeah. you know treating your family right and you're living a certain way and working hard and it's it's all kind of the same thing well you know it's funny because um uh actually i'm gonna i'm gonna go back to that but uh 
So I asked AJ the same question. So AJ wrote the Year of Loving Biblically, which inspired the show. And he felt the one thing that stuck with him after this Year of Loving Biblically was he always tries to be grateful. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know where that is in the Bible, but yeah. he, he for him, gratitude became much more important in his life. Appreciative. Be very appreciative. Everything, every day is a, is a blessing. Every day that you wake up is a blessing. Like every time you take a breath, you, when, when you, 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 everything, everything that you do, this is a blessing to be here on this show. The, you know, wake up this morning in, in the Hilton Hotel and they flew me in just to tape uh, the Today Show tomorrow. It's, it's all a blessing. It's all like, I'm just excited that I'm getting these opportunities. But aside from that, it's just, you know, to have my family and my friends and to be able to, you know, my be in good health. It's all a blessing. Just now, are you going on the, the, like you were on Colbert, I think, what, what were you on? You were on a late night show. I was on show. Colbert, yeah. Yeah, so, so you're on Colbert, you're going on the Today Show. Uh, is this in part to support uh, live, uh, living biblically? Colbert was to support uh, Black Card Revoke because that came out first. And then Seth Meyers I did a few weeks ago. That was to support biblically. And then you also have the NBA show. Yeah, NBA. Uh, the, it's called the warm up. It's uh, it streams live on Twitter. You can you can actually watch the show on your Twitter feed, or you can watch it on NBATV.com. It's called the warm up because it's the warm up before Inside the NBA. I don't know if you're familiar with Inside the NBA. No. Yeah. Uh, Even you know, though I've had you know like Shaquille every is? NBA. Yeah, I know Shaquille, Shaquille O'Neal, Ernie Johnson, Kenny Smith. You know Kenny Smith, New York no. ball player. Uh, uh, Charles Barkley. You know Charles Barkley. Yeah, yeah. Okay, those four have a show that they do before the game starts called Inside the NBA. Our show is the warm-up to their show. So you're like inside, inside the NBA. Yeah, we're in the same studio. Like, we're literally in this room shooting. They're in the next room over shooting their show. But uh, they start when we end. Okay. Yeah. So, so how do you, you know, I'm going to, we're going to hit many different angles, but I'm just cons curious for my own purposes. How do you, uh, that's pretty productive. Like, what's yeah. your day like? <laughs> like you have to stay uh, on top of everything. A normal day for me, a normal day, wake L up. Let's say it's a day that you're shooting your shows also, or, or a period where you're shooting your TV shows. Okay, so uh, okay, so uh, Monday would be, uh, we go in to the studio, and there's table read, for, biblically. So we read the script. We literally go in, we read the script so that, they, so that the writers can hear it. Uh, we read the script, they take notes, what changes they want to make, we're released for the day. So we're done. Uh, I would go home, you know, read the paper, watch the news, try to write some jokes because I'm done around noon. So from noon till seven, I'm free. Go to the gym, probably go shoot some hoop. Uh, get together with some of my comic friends in LA. We try to, you know, pass ideas around. See what, yeah. we, 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 we pan for gold. We, we try to see if it's a nugget. Like, so I'll tell you a bit I'm working on and you might have an idea and we, okay, now we got a nugget. Now we have something to work with. And then we just try to build off of that little nugget. We try to make it this big piece that's going to change the world. So, so, Collaborative in the sense that let's say you're working with three or four comedians and you uh, uh, throw out a bit, they're going to try to make that bit as good as possible that you can yeah, use. Yeah, but it has to, uh, it, yes, yes and no. So it has to be in my voice. So you can't just give me something like, hey, you should say this. If, this is, if it doesn't fit for me, I won't do it. So uh, uh, what's the last thing I, I was, uh, uh, you know, women say that, they say that women know within the first five minutes of meeting a man if she's going to have sex with them. And I say, ladies, is that true? And sometimes they'll say yes and no. I'm like, of course it's not true. They they know within the first five minutes if he's doable, but then they have to expand upon that to see if he's really going to get, you know, the payoff. <laughs> they have to see where you live. They have to see what you drive. They have to see who your friends are because all of that stuff says who you are. So I tell that to my comic friends and now we just bounce that around. Like, okay, what do they need to see? So the crowd work has given you some information. Oh yeah, that's why I do crowd work. I do crowd work to get material out the room. Right. So when I'm asking like, who's married, who's dating, what do you guys, first date, second date? That's, I'm going to take that all later on and process and all of that. And later on when I get back to the notepad, it's all written down and 
turn into a material. So, so okay, so that, but then when you're with your group, what do they do? So uh, it would be, okay, that's the premise. Yeah. And then it's, uh, you might have a story. Like I met a girl one time and she went over her house and I noticed this. And I, I might say, hey, I noticed the girl did that too. So now that if it's the consensus, now we have something. Because if two girls did it, then 10 girls did it. And a thousand girls did it. So now I can say it on stage knowing confidently that it will resonate with the women in the room. So like, like one thing, for instance, women love, women love to get dressed up. But you know what women love more than getting dressed up? Taking their clothes off. Not in a sexual sense. They just like to go to work dressed up and come home. The first thing a girl does when she walks in, kicks her shoes off because they're uncomfortable. She might take her jacket off because it was too small. She, she had a smaller size. They just want to get comfortable and wear sweatpants and socks and look bummy in the house because they want to be as comfortable as they can. So when you invite a girl over to your house and you say, make yourself comfortable, that speaks volumes because she really wants to get out of all this stuff that she wore to impress you. Right. And they say the same thing. Probably they're not impressing me. <laughs> they, women will say the same thing, but they'll say it in a different sense. They'll say, do you mind if I take my shoes off? That's the same thing as get, make yourself comfortable. They just have to say it differently. And they're both, we're both trying to get to the same thing, just to get the girl as comfortable as she possibly can be. Because once she's as comfortable as she can be, she'll talk more, she'll express more, she'll be more expressive. And once she's comfortable with you, then many things can happen. So in this, these aspects of it, you might have gotten from the group of comedian friends right, you're hanging out. Right. So, but let me ask this. So what you just told me was a funny premise and then a really kind of good concept idea to work around because both right. men and women are going to relate to this. Right. So now, when when do you um, punch it up? When does it, when does it become then a joke? Then I'll take that piece right there and go on stage because now I need to hear it in the room. Sometimes mm -hmm. I'll tell a joke on stage. I'll write a joke and go to the comedy club that night and tell it just because I need to hear it in this mm -hmm. setting because this is where it lives. In my house, I might think, yeah, this is really funny. But if it doesn't live in a comedy club, then it doesn't work. So I'll write it. Okay, let's go try this out. Go to the club. Hey, women like to do this. And then once I hear the women cackling and a couple of girls like, oh, that's true. And So know, even if you're just straight saying it off of yeah, like the, a napkin. When you're on stage, nine times out of 10, the audience, they're guinea pigs. It's not for yeah. you. It's for later on. It's yeah. for when I'm on stage and it matters. It's for when I'm in front of the cameras, when I'm on the big show. But I appreciate you guys coming out to watch me work through this. But it's not for you. It's just I need you guys to help me get it to where it needs to be. So, so, so then you start to get an idea of what parts are, are there cackling, right. what, what not. What parts hit harder, and then you structure it so there's a nice ebb and flow to it. So, I, but my jokes, I like to say something. Of course, laughter, but I also like thought. I like, oh, interesting. I like never heard that before. I like, hmm, he has something. I like all of that. In inside the laughter, just not just getting laughter is nothing. That's that's not even okay. That's so not a payoff to just get a laugh. So so watching you do stand up, I would say um, my own my own analysis might might not mean anything. You have the the concept, uh, uh, which is usually like a funny premise, and you'll and and there'll be a little bit of laughter, right? But then you'll act it out in various ways. You'll kind of like yeah. hit it hit it from different angles, acting it out like right. like Barack Obama. You'll have like. The girlfriends he dated that he would yeah, yeah, yeah. Say, said he was going to be president. Yeah. He's not going to yeah. be president. And then marijuana, like now right. you president, right? And like so, you'll act it out like in in different ways, hitting different yeah. angles of the thought of like who's this like twenty year old uh, you know guy saying he's going to be president, right? Because you got that's a that's a realistic aspect of it. If you're a black guy living in the South Side of Chicago, and you tell your friends, you know, I want to go into politics, I think I could be president one day. In the hood, in the south side of Chicago, on the south side of Chicago, that would be funny. You're gonna, you're gonna 
past these actual people, these girls that are like, you out of your mind, you can't be no president because they're living in what they see in front of them. Right. To be president, to be, to be successful and be from the inner city, your vision has to be beyond what you see in front of you. Because that's why a lot of people get stuck in the hood because they can't see past where they are, where they are. And to be a young black guy named Barack Obama and tell your friends, hey, I'm going to be president of the United States. That's, I think that's hilarious. Right, so the premise was funny, which, right. is, which is really interesting because a lot of times people say, oh, premise and punchline, the premise doesn't have to be funny. Right. But I think your premise is you really no, focus yeah, on making them as funny as possible. No, it has to be funny because it has to get, kickstart the laughter. Right, it gets them like, oh, let's see where he takes this. Yeah. Okay, now I'm in. Like, that, that's funny. That, you have my attention with that. Now, where do you go with it? So I acted out to give it a little physicality so they can follow it. But there's also, then I put the, you know, the payoff in that he actually became president. And now he's, there's these girls that are like, wow, he did it. Like, I can't believe he did that. And they got his boys from back in the hood. Like, wow, he actually, and they're still smoking weed on the corner. Like, he did it. I can't believe it. So it's the progression of the joke in how it, uh, how it, uh, how it follows the progression of Barack Obama. And, and, and I think the act out, like you just doing it right then, like how right. you, you you did it in a minor way just then, right. but like you taking on the girls persona, you taking on the, you know, pot, you know, the, the, the guy's uh, uh, persona and you exaggerating it a little right. bit and dancing with it. Like, it's Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor taught me that. Richard Pryor can make this, Richard Pryor can stand on stage, one person on stage and can make it look like it's 10 people on stage because he populates he turns into the mother he turns into the grandmother he turns into the son he turns into the preacher he turns into the wino he turns into the cop he turns so it's like oh this is a story it's a play it's a one-man play so richard pryor taught everybody that everybody that does it richard pryor taught us that that's interesting and you've said uh richard pryor's uh richard pryor was basically your favorite still, uh, inspiration still, like, he's the number he's the king and then uh patrice o'neill elephant patrice o'neill elephant in the room yes patrice so, o'neill special patrice o'neill was the miles davis he was the jazz He's he, he's he's jazz comedy. Patrice O'Neill would go on stage and he would do this weird thing where he would stand off in the corner of the stage where everybody else would stand right in dead center in front of the mic. He would take the mic out the mic stand and stand in the corner and lean on the wall. And it was just a weird abstract way to watch it. Like, why, is he, why does he choose the corner? This big guy who's going to show pretty much stand out wherever he is would lean on the wall in the corner, like left side of the stage, all the way over before like literally before like stepping off the stage and do his set from there and it would just bring people into his set i just i would just watch the room how they're so locked in because he was just off a little bit do you think he did that to bring people in like the way people, so, yeah the way people might talk low in a dinner so everyone yeah. has to lean forward yeah yeah so like my brother my brother does pacing he does the fast pacing yeah and i asked him about it and it was because it'll keep the eyes on you mm. if you pace they're watching it's like they, they, they can't turn away because you're moving so fast. They know if they turn away, they don't know where you're going to be at when they look back. So you pace to keep the eyes on you. That's so interesting. I did not think of that. Yeah. I always thought that your, so your brother's Chris Rock, I always thought that his style was a lot based on what he saw in your grandfather as a preacher. That was yeah, just so my a little guess. bit of that, yeah. Because I pace, I pace too, but I, I, you know, I have questions for everybody. Patrice, it was always why you do that. It was to draw them where I am. My brother is to keep the eyes on you, you know, Richard Pryor was, uh, was a character, 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 character. So now you just, okay, who's he going to be? Once he, when he was over there, he was the cop. When he was over here, he was, so now they're just watching. They got to stay locked in because they don't know who he's going to be next. Tracy Morgan does that a lot. Tracy Morgan can really turn the stage into 20 people. Huh. Uh, 
I feel I feel like you do a lot of. Uh, I learn from those guys. Those but, are the but, guys. Yeah, that... so you do a lot of the the act out. Yeah, but I feel like you stay close to the center of the stage. But you have you're free there. You have fun there. Yeah, like you'll dance around it. I, that's exactly see. my style. Is I tell people all the time when they try to get a definition of my style, I just say it's a it's an evening with Tony Rock. It's a conversation with Tony Rock because I really want to just have fun in the room. It's almost like it takes me back to high school, riding the train or public school on the bus when I would just hold court on the, on the, on the school bus or hold court on the, on the J train coming home. I would literally just stand there and everybody was just, okay, what's Tony going to talk about today? So, so yeah, because I get, I get that sense. You're, you're, you're talking more to the audience and you're, you're talking at their pace. You're not like um, yeah. talking too fast or too, right. too slow. And, uh, and I don't talk down to them. I don't make it seem like I have any information that you don't have. Right, you're just having fun with them. Yeah. Like you're noticing interesting things and right. having fun with them. Whereas I feel like your brother um, is really, uh, and this is a good thing, he's really like super high concept. Like he's going to test and test and test to come up with like the most high concept things he can do. And then he does his style, but he's not necessarily like interacting with the audience. at, at Yeah, this. so yeah. But when it's stuff so high concept, like you remember afterwards, you might not, you'll remember the jokes, of course, he's f super funny. Um, like you've even once said he's one of the best comedians ever, but you're really gonna remember these high concepts. Yeah. He makes you think a lot and laugh a lot. What'd you think of, um, and I don't, I don't, we, we don't have to talk the whole time about Chris Rock, but it's just a little interesting. Uh, what do you think in his last special? I thought he was like honest in this very interesting way. Yeah. That's, not like the normal vulnerability of comedians where it's like, oh, I don't like my kids and this and he right. was like, he likes was very specific. Like I cheated with like XYZ women mm -hmm. and it's like a different kind of vulnerability and honesty, right. which almost like turned the audience off, but he's he has enough likability to bring them back right. in. What did you but think that's of that special? The, the, you, you don't do this, you don't do the special, or you don't even do stand-up for to be like for, for the likability of the whole room. Nobody's mm. going to get the whole room. Nobody ever, ever, mm. any special, any comedy set you ever saw, there was never 100% of the room that was, oh, we all loved it. Any, the, the greatest, you know, live on the Sunset Strip, Richard Pryor, I'm sure people left like, eh, it wasn't that good. Mm. Because you're not going to get everybody. You get the people that are on your frequency and they're going to love it. They're going to be so in tune to it. Uh, I love the special because it was, I've, I've seen them all. I was there when they all started when they were all just, you know, five minutes sets to 20 minute sets to the hour special that people got to see. I was there. I love this one because it was the growth. It was the first one was, you know, dating and just trying to get a girl to go out with you and, you know, being a single guy and having money. And this one was family man, father, divorcee, uh, sitting in the room with the lawyers and my life has come full spectrum from Bedford Stuyvesant in Brooklyn to sitting in this room debating on millions of dollars with my wife I'm going to divorce and the life that he carved out from where we started to where he is now I just thought I just saw the growth in it I saw it was a grown man special it was it was 444 the comedy special 444 is Jay-Z's album I'm pretty sure you uh, I it. didn't I didn't know yeah that. I, I forgot <laughs> who I was talking to for a second you know but I know it was, it a was lot the, it was, but I didn't know that it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a special for grown people so it's interesting because I look at that special and also Dave Chappelle's recent special, and there are times when uh, it's almost like they both turned off their comedy voice to really have this like heart to heart with the audience before Those bringing it back specials. to comedy. Those are the best yeah. specials. The best specials are the best comedy specials. The best one hour comedy specials are not one hour of comedy. They're forty minutes of comedy, 
and 15 minutes of, okay, now that I have your attention, I have to say this. I have to deliver this message while I have this platform. I would not be using this platform, you know, whole, I wouldn't be use, doing this platform justice if I didn't give you something in this hour. So nobody's an hour special that's all just, you know, you walk away like, it was funny. I just laughed the whole time. No, what did he say? What, what stuck out with you? What resonated with you? What are you going to be in your car driving home thinking, that was really, that was really deep what he said about, you know. I always wonder that because like if, if you just want to laugh, there's plenty of YouTube videos with cats. Yeah, go look at the, at the orange that talks and, you know. So, so what's the difference between stand-up and humor? I think that's what it is. I think humor is, humor could be, you know, the, the whoopee pad, the whoopee cushion. That's humor. It made you, it tickled your funny bone. Your funny yeah. bone reacted to this thing. Somebody falling on ice. Okay. Stand-up is public speaking. Stand-up is news reporting. Stand-up is thought-provoking. Stand-up is heartfelt. Stand-up is uh, reflection. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's growth. It's, but, but it's not just news reporting. There, there's a perspective too. It's the, it's the, it's the human spirit. It's, it's speaking on the human spirit. It's speaking on like the, the times and where we are as people. And it's, it's really much more than humor. And, and, but I feel like you, your brother... Uh, I'm trying great. to do that. I, I'm, you say I, you're trying. You've been doing it what, 24 years? I've been. <laughs> no, I started in '98. You, you a beginner now. I started, <laughs> but no, I'm trying to get better at. It. I'm trying to, every day. You do stand up. You're never where you want to be. It's like, it's like saying how much money. Like I have enough money. Nobody has enough money. Right. It's like you're always trying to be better. And and do you feel? Uh, I mean, obviously you've gone in your own direction. You're a great stand up. You've been doing it 20 plus years. How much do you feel? you know, having, I don't know if you consider him a mentor or if you just watched his process and learned an enormous amount, but uh, was it was it a big head start having Chris as a nine years old? No, brother? no, no. Chris, he's not my mentor. No, no we, we rarely talk about stand-up comedy. Uh, the thing he did for me as far as stand-up is concerned is, uh, you know, I always wanted to be a comic from the day I listened to a Richard Pryor album, Bill Cosby albums, George Carlin albums. I love George Carlin. George Carlin's great. Uh, it was those guys. I didn't know those guys. It was just like this guy that I like that does these things. I didn't know him. Then Eddie Murphy was cool and doing the same thing. So I'm. I was younger. I would much more appeal to the cool guy, you know. So I'm like, oh, this guy does it, and he's cool. He's rock star status. That appealed to a, a young kid. Looks, he's brown like me. He's cool. He. I want to be like that. But I didn't know him. And then my brother started doing stand up. It turned. It changed to, okay, now the guy in the next room is doing it. Now it's real. Because those guys were just ideas to me. Ideals, you know, I, I didn't know them. I didn't never had a conversation with Eddie Murphy or Richard Pryor. But now the guy in the next room, I know this guy. When he started doing it, did you think, oh, this is crazy. He's not going to be Richard Pryor. Uh, no, I, I, you know what? I didn't, I didn't think it was, wasn't going to work. I didn't think it was going to work. I just thought, yeah, okay, my brother's doing stand-up. That's kind of cool. Like, my brother's doing this thing that I like. So that's kind of, so then it was just like, well, you, go, you got a show tonight and when, when are you going to meet this guy? And did you see this? And did you, so we, we, he would take us to comedy clubs and we would just hang out and I saw everybody. I saw Adam Sandler before he was But you must have, big. it must have been a great thing to then hear Chris and all of them break down yeah, their acts yeah, afterwards. I, like, I was a fly on the wall. I, I just, Adam like what did Sandler. You, what did you learn out of, out of that hall? Uh, uh, Adam was just, I, uh, just a, the admiration of their styles. I just saw the differences in what stand-up could be. So Adam wasn't as, you know, here's a message and here's this thing you're going to leave with. Adam was just funny. Yeah. 
And uh, Dennis Wolfberg was the married man that was, you know, going through life trying to just be the, the perfect husband. And, and uh, Joe Bolster, these are the guys that I saw 14 years old, 13 years old at the comic strip. And they all had different styles. And it was, it was cool to see, interesting to see that, you know, older white men were funny and young black guys were funny and this Spanish guy is funny and this lady is funny. And then I realized, oh, everybody has their own slant on this thing. And if you kind of master what your thing is, then we can, we can, we can all do this. This, this is great. So, so it's interesting because some of the names you just mentioned, I recognize and some I don't. And probably the ones I recognize may, might not even be the best standups, but the ones that were in movies and right. other other right. media. So what? Well, the what, best standup is all. That depends on who you ask. Yeah, I'm there's, sure. I'm sure everybody's best. got a different yeah. list. Um, but what do you think? So to define success in that context, in this in this world that you success grew up in, in standup. Yeah, because what, what? Yeah, just yeah. It, it depends on what. Like some people want to be. Some people want to be movie stars. Some guys do stand up because they want to be movie stars. Some guys do stand up because they want to be. They want to write for TV shows. Some guys do stand up just because they love it. Some guys, are, I this living in LA half the year, I see a difference in New York and LA. Like a lot more comics in New York do stand up because they love the art form. They love stand up comedy. Like like you said, humor and stand up. New York, I see way more stand up. Mm. LA, I see way more humor. Why is that? Is that because because LA is the where TV and movies. So they're kind yeah. of almost so like performing like, for... Yeah, they're like, we. I want to do this because I think it's an end to do that. Mm. And once I get to do that, I'll never do this again. Whereas New York is, we do stand-up and we'll do stand-up forever. Mm. Yes, these all these other things are nice. If I get those things, cool. But I'll always do stand-up. My brother still does stand-up. My brother still goes to the comedy cellar. He still pops in at the comic strip and does sets. I don't see a lot of guys in LA that, with my brother's success that still come to the clubs and... You know, just come in on a Friday night and do a set. They don't. They don't. They don't show up. I mean, I guess like uh, Joe Rogan, Joe hits Rogan, the yeah. Comedy Store, yeah. or Las Vegas, yeah. Yeah. or uh, I don't know. I don't know about other comedians out there. Yeah, I I haven't seen Ben Stiller walk in and do a set in some time. I, Does yeah. he do stand up? I didn't even know he did stand up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who who did I see last that was like okay? This uh, Kevin Nealon. Kevin Nealon does a show at the Laugh Factory. That's a great show. Huh. He does a uh, New Material Tuesdays. So you're supposed to, you're supposed to come in and do ten minutes of brand new material that you just wrote. I love his shows, the best show there. But a lot of guys go in and just do a ten minute set of stuff they've always done. So, so you say, you say like uh, on a typical day, like let's say you go home, you're free from like noon to seven. You might write some jokes. What's the writing process like for you? Uh, it's everything. It's I might see something in the paper and okay, that's I could I could do something with that, or you know something might happen on the news. Okay, I could do something with that. Like, like like what and and again is there a perspective like it's just something it, that speaks to me just something that pops out like mm. does it make you angry no and then you write about that not necessarily angry it's like it, it might be something that's actually funny like I saw a guy when I was in, what I when I'm on the road a lot I'll try to get a joke that's in that town to 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 open the show with because I know everybody saw it right so I was in Baltimore one night and uh, one weekend and there was a guy that robbed a gas station and stole all the scratch off tickets. And got away. And about three hours later, a guy walks in with a scratch-off ticket that was a winner. It was the same guy. And I'm, I'm like, okay, I have to open the show with this joke. I have to start. Okay, with- so that's a funny premise. Where, yeah. Where's the joke? So the joke was, because it was, okay, so it was a black guy. So I said, can I curse you on the yeah, show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, look, what a, what a nigga. Like, why would this nigga do this? And then I thought, people are so up in arms over the N-word. 
But I said, this is the perfect example of why you're never going to get rid of the word nigga. Because there's always going to be niggas. This guy is a nigga. This guy robbed the gas station, left and came back with a ticket and wanted his money. I'm like, the only way to describe this guy is look at this nigga. So then the joke was, there's always going to be, they're never going to get rid of the word nigga because there's always going to be niggas. And then I have to go both sides with a joke. I try to go, you know, black and white men and women, whatever the case may be. In this case, it was, you're never going to get rid of the word bitch either because there's always going to be a girl that's going to push a man to the point where he goes, bitch, are you crazy? So that's where the joke kind of took it. It started there in this one thing, but then I had to take it somewhere else where I could expand upon it. So, and then uh, just you were in Baltimore, you saw that news story and then- And boom, that was the like opening of the show. Out. The show started with, you know, Baltimore and Baltimore's a very urban, yeah. you know, city. So I started out with, you know, what's up, Baltimore? Okay, listen, we're going to try to get through this show. I don't want no problems with y'all. I know Baltimore's crazy. You know, I told about the wire and all the stuff with the cops going on. And I go, but, you know, some of y'all just, you know, you guys are living up to this. Tonight, I, today, I checked in the hotel. I watched the news and I saw the guy stole the, the scratch-off tickets and came back an hour later and wanted his money. What type of nigga? And the whole room just explodes because they all saw it. And I'm the guy that's, you know, right on it. I'm, I'm on it as soon as it happens. So that's like, it's just a win. I'm sure initially, I mean, maybe not. Uh, you were booked probably in the very beginning. Like, oh, this is Chris Rock's brother. Let's, let's put him up on the stage. Oh, may I happens. tell that story? May I yeah, tell yeah, that story? Yeah. That's a great story. Well, so I start doing stand-up. I start doing stand-up in New York City. And, you know, my goal at first was to be was to pass. To pass means that you get to play all of the clubs. You can just call in on a Monday and say, hey, I'm available all week, and you get spots the whole week. That you, you passed at the club. You, you're not no longer amateur. Now you're a professional. So my goal was to pass at all the comedy clubs in, in, in New York City. And then I did. So now I'm working every club in the city. I'm making money. Uh, How long did it take you before you, from start to passing all the clubs? Well, this was the, the goal was, uh, we started out, it was... I'm gonna. I say we because my cousin Sherrod Small, who's on. Uh, I know Sherrod. He's often at uh, Stand Up New York. Yeah, he, uh, and Race Wars. Yeah, he. Uh, he and I started the same day. We're cousins. We grew up together yeah. on the same street. We've been together like we're heckle and jekyll. So our goal was focus on one comedy club at a time. So the comic strip was number one because my brother started there. Eddie Murphy started there. Seinfeld started there. We we figured that should be ground zero. We'll start here. So we got in the, we we passed at the strip. Then the next club was okay. Now we're gonna pass at Stand Up New York. Now we're gonna. So it was a. It, was, it took maybe two summers, two and a half years to pass at at the strip, stand up, Gotham, uh, Dangerfields, New York Comedy Club. Uh, the cellar was la Boston Comedy Club was still open, and the cellar was last because the cellar was so hard to get into. Was Gotham around then? Gotham was. I said Gotham, yeah. Okay. Chris Mazzilli, very influential yeah. in Sherrod and I's career. Uh, so we got in all the clubs. So now we're making a little money in the city. And then when you start making money in the city, then it's like, okay, uh, this comic this comic knows a guy that books a room in Jersey. And this comic knows a guy that books a room in Pennsylvania. So now we're doing tri-state area. We, we kind of, you know, expanding a little bit, making a little good money. So then I get an agent and she starts getting me on the road. I'm, I'm uh, Tracy Morgan's opening act. I'm uh, John Witherspoon's opening act for a few years. And I'm Kim Cole's opening act for a few years. And uh, for a few summers. And uh, we do a show in Jersey one weekend. And on the flyer, it says, uh, I forgot what Tracy Morgan was on at the time. It was SNL and some other show. And then at the bottom, it said, and featuring 
Chris Rock's brother, Tony Rock. And at first, so I'm like, come credit. on, man. I can't just be Tony Rock. But then, after the show's over, you know, Tracy kills. So everybody wants a picture with Tracy and an autograph from Tracy. But then there's five or six people that's like, hey, can we get a picture with Chris Rock's brother? Yeah, like, okay, I guess so. I guess it's cool. Then I'm, you know, working with Kim Coles one weekend and it's show's over. Half the room wants a picture and an autograph with her and the other half wants a picture and an autograph of Tony Rock. So comedy club owners, comedy club owners, let me just say this first, comedy club owners don't care about the art of stand-up comedy. They just uh, care I about- I do, I have to say. They <laughs> just care about the two drink minimum and asses in the seats. They don't care about developing the craft of stand-up comedy. They don't care about comics coming in and saying and help, helping to nurture that comic to be a great comic. Hey, are you bringing asses to the seats? That's all they care about. Most of them. So, I'm I'm doing shows in Pennsylvania and Jersey with Kim Coles. Now it's like you know what? If half the room wants to see this kid, we can bring him back to headline and bill it as Chris Rock's brothers, Chris Rock's brother Tony Rock this whole weekend. So they take me off featuring and put me on headlining. At the time, I will be 100% honest with you, I did not have the material. But you can't say, you can't say, hey, you're getting called up to the major leagues in baseball and say, no, 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 I can't hit the curveball yet. I'll just stay here a little while longer and then I'll tell you when I'm ready to go up there. You got to go when they say you got to go. So when they made me headliner, I couldn't say, hey, I don't have the time. I'm like, all right, now I'm stuck. So what I did, I do 10 minutes of written material, 10 minutes of crowd work. 10 minutes of written material, 10 minutes of crowd work. And I would end with my biggest joke. So that made, for, it forced me to be able to find something in the room to make funny in that 10 minute space where I was doing crowd work. So that's why it was, I worked the muscle that now I can make anything funny at any time in the room. So the, the process was I would come home to the city and go on stage at the strip and I had a 15 minute set. I would try to do my whole 15 minute set without telling one written joke. Just to work that muscle of being able to make something funny on spot. Now, I've done it over so many years that anything can happen in the room. I truly believe there's nothing that can happen in the room that I haven't seen already or that I can't make funny in a second because I had to. When your back's against the wall, it changes everything. Have you tried doing a, a crowd work special? So like Judah Freeland no, or listen, Todd Barry? Listen. Oh my God. I, I don't even know if I want to say this and jinx it, but I want to do my hour special first and then I want to do an hour special called a funny thing happened and i'll i'll uh i'll narrate it so it'll start off with me talking hey guys this is tony rock welcome to the hour special this first one happened one night i was in cleveland and a young lady yelled out this and this is what happened and cut to and then this okay this next one i was in denver one weekend and a guy said i asked the guy if he was married and he said this and enjoy and the whole special will be crowd work because now i can do it so Flawlessly, it's just I have to, you know, capitalize on it some some way. So, and it still seems like um, there's a perspective underneath it. In that, for instance, you described the the joke in Baltimore. What you're looking at it is, you know, um, here we are trying to, um, uh, you know, Barack Obama's president. We're we're moving beyond the stereotypes of race, right? And then this happens. And then this in happens. Baltimore. Yeah. And uh, because uh, they they're gonna look at us. It's all this black right. people get looked at as a whole. <laughs> Right. Anything happened, Barack Obama, they looked at us like, okay, that guy that robbed the gas station, he's going to look at me the same, like, we get looked at as a whole. Like, I don't. So, so that's a perspective, and jokes come out of a perspective. Right. absolutely. And, and I feel like a lot of uh, comedians, and, and maybe this is too 
uh, broad, but I feel like a lot of comedians, they're focused too much on like, oh, what's a premise punchline? What's what's just a joke? As opposed to having a perspective yeah. and and letting the jokes kind of come out of that by, you know, absorbing news or information right. and letting the jokes come out of that. That's how, you know what, that the guys that have the, the, the colossal fan, like my brother, take a guy like my brother, take Dave Chappelle, uh, George Carlin. George Carlin was known for that, for having a perspective on very many things. And once you understand this is what this guy does, that's when the fan base is just mm. increases because they know, you know, something something could happen in the news and people would probably say, I wonder what George Carlin's going to say about this. Or my brother goes on the road and people are like, okay, you got Trump, you got, he he said he cheated on his wife, we got to hear about that. He just got a new Netflix deal and, and he has daughters now. We got to see what his scope is on all these things. People come anticipating, you know, what he's going to say about certain things as opposed to the guy that just is just funny. It's like, well, what's he going to, we already saw him. He's, you know, he smashes a watermelon. We get it. You know, he takes the hammer, he smashes the watermelon. We get it. Well, there's nothing there. There's nothing, there's no right. food for my brain. It's no, doesn't feed my soul. This guy is going to really speak to me on very many levels. So that's who they're drawn to. So, so did you ever, um, like call him and go over bits nope. or nope. nothing? Nope. <laughs> nope. Nope. Who are the comedians that you, that you do that with? Uh, Sherrod Small. Uh, I got some guys in LA. I have some some comics friends in LA that aren't like big names, but I'm looking forward to seeing them do great things in the future. Uh, uh, Sydney Castillo, uh, Garrick Dixon, my baby brother Jordan Rock, super funny, my favorite comedian right now. Uh, and you've been kind of like a mentor to him to some extent. Yeah, Jordan, 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 and I have a different relationship. Jordan's uh he you, he's just great. I, I just 20, 20 he's twenty five now. Wise beyond his years. You know, to have that many big brothers is just, it makes the little brother more mature. Yeah. You know, he understands life at a, on a level that I'm sure a lot of 25-year-olds don't because he has so many big brothers. And his, his writing is, I, I think, is advanced because of that. So he saw, he sees life as, he, like, his, his, his fashion, his hip-hop music taste, all of that is 25 years old. His scope of life is, I have brothers that are damn near, you know, my father's age. So it's like, a dad's age, so his his scope is wise beyond its years. And, and again, naive question: Do you actually sit down and write the jokes? Like when you say, "Yeah, hey, I'm old school, man." I write. This is what I do: I write the premise. So I might write a, I might write a, uh, what's I'm trying to think of something I wrote lately. Um, uh, I might write uh, gentrification, and then I'll put the bullet points, three or four or five bullet points, and then I'll go on stage. And I know how to get into the joke, and I know what the bullet points are, so I'll just find my way from one to the next. So, so break that down, like, so you write gentrification because, because why? Because New York's gentrified now. I, I live, like, like I said, I live in LA, LA half the year, so I come home now to Bedford Stuyvesant in Brooklyn, where when I lived there, it was crack infested. It was the one of the worst neighborhoods in America, if not the worst, and that was gentrified. So that's kind of funny. So there's white people literally jogging and walking down the street with yoga mats and drinking, you know. Yo boba tea on the street corner where I know a guy that got shot or I know this used to be a crack house and now it's a it's a wine bar. So that's kind of funny in a weird way because I grew up there. So now the gentrification of New York is that in Bed-Stuy, there's still hood guys there, but now there's this element. So guys are jogging past dice games. You know, the guy the girls are going to do yoga and these guys are outside selling weed. So it's like a it's like two worlds colliding. So and then and then these might be the industry yeah, and then points. the bullet points are like you know the guys are 
the guy, the, it's, it's the white guy is jogging down the street and he, you know, they stop at the corner and they, it's, always, it's just funny to me when I see the guys jogging, they stop at the red light and they keep they jog in motion. They, they stay, uh, what, yeah. do you, what do you call it, jogging in place? Yeah. And they're checking their, their, their pulse. <laughs> and the, but next to them in the hood, it's a guy shooting dice. Like, what the fuck is wrong with this dude, man? Yeah. This guy's fucking, it's like two worlds are literally, literally living in one space. And I just think that's funny. So, and then, and then, what do you mean by you know how to get into the joke? What does that? Yeah, mean? I, like to transition from one bullet point to the next. There's no say this to get to this. I just know. Okay, I, I'll get enough out of that one bullet point, and then I'll just go to the next one. Like I'll just transition my. I'll find a way to transition. There's no set word or you know set uh, language to get to the next one. So you might see the joke one time, and I said this to get from bullet point A to B, and then next time I said it. Said something else to get from bullet point A to B. I just want to, I just need to get to it. And then once I get it perfected, which no joke is ever really done, but when I get it to where I'm comfortable with it, then that's when you'll see, oh, he said the same thing to get to A to B to C to D. Because I'm now I got it all locked in my head. And now when then let's say you do 10 minutes of that, and then you're gonna do 10 minutes of crowd work. Let's just say hypothetically, what are you looking for? No, now that was that was when I started. Now, now I can do yeah, now I could do a whole hour with no crowd work. But you could but I like also, to. I love to do crowd work. So so like what do you look for in crowd work? Uh, relationships is the, the 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 biggest button because everybody in the room is going through some they at they're at some different point in a relationship. Some people are first dates, some people are third dates, some people are we've been dating for a month, some people are we're two years in, some people are we're ten years in, some people are we got divorced. I've had people like we're I have a couples in the room, oh we're divorced, but we still hang out. Now I have to address that. I have to go so hold hold up, hold up. So you guys couldn't make it as a couple, but you're still cool enough to hang out with each other. I have to talk about that in the room because the room need, wants to hear this. Right. Now the room is, please, let them talk about it. I want to know what's going on here. You guys still having sex? You guys hang out? Will you live near each other? What's going on? So I, I got to get all the information and whatever they give me, I'm going to run with it. I'm going to make a joke up right there on the spot. Huh. You know? So relationships is the thing where you, you encompass the, the majority of the room. Not nine times out of 10, a comedy club is couples, or it's guy and girl, or two guys, two girls, or whatever. But it's always, you know, men and women can both enjoy that. And um, uh, I was going to ask, I had another, uh, one second, I'm going I'm to collect my thoughts here. Okay. <laughs> so I've been doing, doing stand-up or attempting to for the past, let's say I'm in my second year. You, you love it. I you, love it. You love it. At, it's, it's the greatest. I've been doing it up to my, you know, Five, my most would be five, six times in a week, but on average, let's say three, four times in a week. And okay. uh, and I love it so much. At even, two years in? At two years That's in. That's not yeah. bad. That's not and bad. I go out with a good crowd. I'll do like the Thursday 8 p.m. show at Stand Up New York, for okay. instance. And there's a good, there'll be a good lineup. So, and you are co-owner of Stand Up New York? Yeah, I was a co-owner of Stand Up New York, but I'd already been doing it like maybe seven, eight months before okay. I... I so I'll, I'll the, know to call my spots in next time I come back. Yeah, exactly. And then, but but it was I was doing already about seven eight months. And I figured I'll take my business expertise and also throw it in there. Right. And I guess a little bit of it was okay. Now I'm no one. You know, I'm definitely going up on stage a lot too. Okay. So so there was a, a little bit of an element of that. Right. But what advice would you give uh, uh, someone like me? Uh, and and, and I, one one thing I try to to do, I've been public speaking. Or or being stand a humorist. Stand up is public speaking. For, hmm? Stand up is public speaking. I know. It, yeah. I, I, it took me a long time to realize that, to be honest. At first, I thought, okay, I got to start, start from zero and just tell the raunchiest jokes No, and the whatever. best public speakers are guys that, when you, when you watch them, they're kind of funny. Well, all the time in my public speaking, I have been funny. And so finally, yeah. a couple of people said to me, 
take your experience from public speaking and and that's you, a bit you, that's a bit right there you know you've already put ten thousand hours into public speaking now just move it into stand up okay tell me the bit you know that that's was there. a bit like no <laughs> I I used to be a public how long were you a public speaker forever like I was a public speaker I'm I'm doing stand up I consider myself a stand up for the last two years but I've been a public speaker for forever. And I've been funny as a public speaker. So I, I didn't, I didn't, I thought the stand up was something else. It's like, it's pretty much public speaking. It's just that, you know, now I'm talking to where I was talking to this. Now I'm talking to and this guy right here. Like, you know, whatever, who's in Now I'm talking to this Puerto Rican guy. Like, I wouldn't, I, I don't think I would see you at a discussion on, you know, what's the last thing you talked about in public speaking? Uh, failure way to success. Yeah, I wouldn't see this guy at failure way to success. I would see this guy at, just try to succeed. Failing. Try to succeed and fail. <laughs> right. You know, that's a, that's a bit right there. That's funny. That's yeah. good. Because the right. audience is going to be totally different. I'm I'm imagining the comedy uh, club as opposed to yeah. Because in public speaking, they usually are paying to see specifically me. Right. So in in a, if you do a club, they don't know who I am at all. So they're just they're like right. tourists or whatever. Right. So that's that's a little bit of the that's difference. A, that's another bullet point. When I do public speaking, they paid to see me. You guys paid to see comedy, not necessarily see me. Like you guys are looking at me right now, like who the fuck is this guy? But you kind of did pay to see me, you know. That's that's a point. That's a bit. Yeah, that's, that's a bullet funny. point. Yeah. All right, so that's good advice. Yeah. So I, well, what I what the big learning thing I learned from from all of that context was that when you're trying something new, try to find as many similarities with the things you're already good at. Right. Like, there are differences between stand. Like you have to get faster laughs right. in general. Right. Right. Um, and there's more crowd work. Uh, which which it's all, had, all these are all bullet points. Yeah. So that's that's interesting. Uh, thinking of it in your terms uniqueness of is the thing. See, your your you you said what advice was I, would I give you? I'm sure you write a lot. Yeah, because I was gonna say write every day. That's number one. Every every comic, every comic that young comic that asks me advice, number one, write every day. Whether you just write, just get in the habit of writing every day. You might look at it later on and go, "This is garbage," but you're in the habit of doing this action every day. And you once you get in action of doing it, then you're gonna do it, you know, without even thinking about it. It's gonna be second nature to just do it every day. So write every day, which you already do, but embrace the uniqueness. Whatever your uniqueness is, that's the thing that sets you apart. Where everybody, everybody can't do this. So you know, I I know guys that are, uh, uh, who I was just telling a comic this the other day. Uh, my friend Garrick Dixon, uh, got divorced, has uh, two daughters with his ex-wife. She remarried. The new guy calls Garrick for to talk to Garrick like they're buddies because he understands now. Everybody thought Garrick was the asshole and the bad husband. Now this guy's like, oh shit, it wasn't just Garrick. So now they both can understand it because they both, they, they both on a, on a plane where it was just, it's just those two guys that understand this one woman. So I'm like, dude, that's so unique. You have to talk about that on stage. It's unique and it's also broad because it's relationship based. Right. And so his joke, his bit was uh, how he goes to pick his daughters up and where the daughters would be in the window waiting for him to show up and get there. Like if he said, I'll be there at three, at 2.45, they're in the window waiting for daddy to, you know, to drive up. He says now he pulls up and the guy is in the window waiting for him to pull up because he wants to see him so bad to talk about the wife. And I'm like, dude, you got to talk about that. That's every divorced man in the, in the world would agree, would, would That's identify with that. Right. So it's the uniqueness. It's whatever the uniqueness is about you, about your lifestyle, about your, you know, your friends, your family. That's that's gold, man. Because nobody else can do it. I sh I should think more about that. I always I talk about all my. I have seven brothers and two sisters. My my grandfather was a preacher. 
My dad was this. My mom did this. That's gold because the next guy can't do it. So you got 10 siblings. You got nine siblings too. You got a preacher grandfather too. You can't do it. That's unique. Yeah, like here's here's one interesting thing I did for for two years, two and a half years that I've never once spoken about on stage, but everybody always asks me about it off stage, which is I lived in nothing but Airbnbs for two and a half years. How could so, you not talk about that? I know. Now I'm thinking, I'm like an idiot for not talking about that. Wait, did you talk about giving away all your worldly possessions? Yeah, yeah. You got it. No, yeah. I never talked about that on stage. <laughs> Why not? I don't know. I feel Listen, people can't relate to that. I feel people can't relate to that. My sent me a link to your stuff like before the show. It's like, you want to do this podcast? It's big. And uh, yeah, it's a big podcast. I'll do it. And she's like, no, but it's really interesting. And she sent me a link. And I was like, wait, this guy got rid of all his worldly possessions? Like, okay. That's, yeah, through everything out. I'm like, I was like, I hope he brings that up. That, why do you not talk about that? I don't know. I've never even thought about talking about you that You thought before. the room wouldn't understand that? They wouldn't follow that? Yeah. So you're judging your audience. But it's so funny because the other day I was trying, now I've stopped that Airbnb period. Right. So I was trying to rent an apartment the other day and the the owner of the apartment, the landlord, didn't really understand. He wanted a a, a, a one-year security deposit. He was so right. weirded out by this Airbnb stuff. Right. And, but really, so then he wanted to meet me. He flew in from Mexico to meet me. Wow. And, uh... I really think he just wanted to ask me what was it like to live in Airbnbs for two years. Like he, he just wanted to do it himself. Right. So I think that was the whole thing, the whole premise of getting me agitated about, you know, paying so much up front was so that he could come in and meet me. And there's just so much. Everybody wants to know about this. So why not talk about it? Yeah, you're right. I have never <laughs> talked about. It. You just said everybody wants to know about it. So yeah. I'm sure a room full of people would be like, "This is this guy lived in Airbnbs for." Yeah, people are, people are smart. People get it. Uh, but here's the thing: How do you deal with like? Okay, now. And and I'm curious, like how both Chris and you dealt with this. As you get more and more success, you're getting to be more successful, say, than the average audience member that you're talking to. How do you keep staying relatable to the nah, audience? Nah, I mean, yes and no. Yeah, we get more and more successful, but I'll speak for myself. Like the more success I get, I'm still the guy from Bedford Stuyvesant, Brooklyn, that didn't have anything growing up. So I think there's a level of honesty and a level of, I don't want to say real because that sounds so rapper cliche-ish, but there's a, there's a realness in when I'm talking to the room, I'm talking for us. I'm not talking down to you. I'm talking to you like, hey, guy, I'm from there too. But I think that's a hard skill to keep and a skill or, or viewpoint because, for instance, on this podcast, I've interviewed a lot of billionaires. Right. So depending on how long they've been a billionaire, uh, they sometimes lose touch. Well, I, well, you know what? I'll I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. I'm not a billionaire, uh, but let's I, say let's take let's take your brother. He's not a billionaire, but he's been su super famous. Yeah, you know, since his first movie, say, or yeah. since his first big yeah. specials in early '90s. Yeah. Um, do you think? How do you think he stays related? Because he does. How do you think well, he, he stays related? You no, know, one aspect of it is the, the all of our the, all of the siblings. Like I have a brother that drives trucks. I have a brother that drives a bus. So it's like he's still my brother. I still got to talk to this guy and call him over for cookouts and, uh, hey, you, you free? Let's go get something to eat. So I'm going to be, still have a, a tie to the working man at all times. My father drove a truck for the New York Daily News. My mother was a school teacher. I will never forget that my father drove a truck and my mother was a school teacher. That's where it started. So I, yes, they, they want their children to do better than them, of course. But at the end of the day, it's, I'm still from Bedford-Stuyvesant in Brooklyn. I remember, you know, my friends getting shot. I remember being on the school bus telling jokes, hoping to be in this position. And I talk to people. I think people identify with us as a 
you know, those guys are from where we're from and they, they're doing good. But they still see the relatable. The, 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 they still relate to us. We're still relatable to the, to, the, to the working man, I think. I don't, that's a good question now. How do we do that? Uh, I just think it's a realness to us. I think it's a, it's a, we're not talking like, but never would I say on stage, like now I have so much money that I can't. And even when I say I have money on stage, it's joking. Like I say, I have a joke about, uh, I want to have a child. And it's like, hey man, I got all this money, no kids to spend it on. And that, I, that, that joke right there just gets, that little line gets women like, ooh, you can spend it on me. And then I can, you know, have fun with it. But I never make airs about being successful. I never talk about, I did this show and now I got this new show and I'm, I don't, I don't know how to be pretentious. I've been, it, I've been broke longer than I've been, than, I've been broke longer than I've had money. So I still relate to that portion of my life more so than this new portion. There's this one um, Louis, C, Louis C.K. special. Maybe it's, all to, great. They're all great. Yeah, yeah, they're all great. And maybe it was the second to last or third to last. At one point, he says, and you know, it's all scripted, even though he interrupts himself. He um, says, I was flying first class. Uh, and then he says, oh, because, you know, I upgrade. I had some point. Ah, you know, screw it. Uh, everything I do is better than you do. Uh, it's all, it's only going to last a year and then it's over. Don't worry right. about it. But I felt like that's how he was addressing his super, his, right. you know, that, that but there's a realness in that. Like, yeah. okay, it's going to last a year. Like, okay, I'm hot now. I'm acknowledging that I'm hot right now and I'm going to take advantage of some of the perks. But when it's over, I'll be back in coach. And then people can laugh at that. People can, you know what? Because they're thinking, well, if I had a, little, a few extra dollars, I'd fly first class too. Yeah, and even though, he, he, I mean, he probably knew he was never going to end up, you know, quote unquote, back in coach. Right. But still, people could relate to the can fear relate of to, it too. Right. Can relate to the the, the fear the of going ascension back. and the going back. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So that's a great that's a great bit. Yeah. He's he, everything he yeah. does. So also, I, it's something in that that we never we, we even my, my brother Andre owns his own trucking company. Does very well. Does very good for himself. We just still kids from Brooklyn. So when we go back to the block. It's it's more. It's even more admiration. Like these guys, grew, that people should look at it like this. People should look at it when we go back around. We go around the way when we go back around the way. People should look at it like, hey man, the guys are from right there, and now they're doing all these things. So what's the difference? Like I said earlier, some people in the hood, they they get stuck in their vision is where they are instead of where it could be. Hmm. So I, we were raised to always be. That's one thing. My our parents were always like, if you could see it, man, you can get it. You can have it. You can be it. You can do it. Don't let what you see outside the window define, you know. When do you let, when do you let it, uh, like, okay, if you can see it, you can do it. What is, if you could see it mean? Like, for instance, let's say you wanted to be, like, obviously you, be, love, I, you love the NBA, yeah. but you probably couldn't have been the center of the Chicago Bulls. Well, that's a, that's, that's a, that's a size thing. Hmm. But I can play basketball very well. I wanted, to be, I wanted to be starting quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I still haven't given up on that dream. Comedy's <laughs> going great right now, so I'll just stick with this. But if I get the phone call... It's a dream, you know, it's probably not going to happen, but I saw it. I worked towards it. I played football and little Pop Warner and I played football in the park with my friends and I played in high school. It was like, okay, I can see it. And, and I always think passions age. So for instance, okay, maybe you're not playing professional basketball, but you're doing this NBA TV show. Yeah. I, but you know what's funny? I have a picture on my Instagram. I said, uh, you probably don't have Instagram. But I do. I, I, you have Instagram. I'm, you gave I'm up everything Instagram. else except for the gram. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm I give Instagram. up everything else, but not my Instagram. Oh, you and I are going on Instagram in 20 minutes. Nice. So. Okay, so uh, I have a picture on my Instagram where I'm holding a basketball in my hand. And behind me, that, like how you're on the screen here, yeah. there's a picture of me on the screen for the NBA show. And I'm holding the ball up and it says, when I was a kid, 
I always said, if I don't become a comic, I'm going to be a sportscaster because my father was always like, pick a job you love. It won't be work to you. It'll be just something you love to do every day. So I'm like, I love sports. I'm going to be a sportscaster if I'm not a comic. And I put on my page, I, I always said, if I wasn't a comic, I'd be a sportscaster. And I'm like, God is so great. I'm both. And I put it on my Instagram and everybody's like, amen, preach. I love it. But that's the thing. I, I saw it. Yeah. And it's, it, it happened. It's interesting. I had a conversation once with Jim Norton on the podcast where- Great comic. Yeah, great comic. And I, I actually grew up with him. We grew up in the same town. We're in the same grade. And uh, he was telling me how he took all these just horrible jobs, like tractor trailer driver, all these things, right. so that he knew if the comedy didn't succeed, he had nothing to fall back on. So that was like, right. that pushed him- yeah. To, to succeed as a comic. You got so, You got to Listen, man, fear is a great motivator. Yeah. When your back's against the wall, you will do amazing things as a human being. You will sink or you will fall. My friend Tone yesterday said, under pressure, uh, some people rise and some people just crumble. Bad things happen and a guy will start drinking and smoking and just a girl will just, you know, fall off. Other people rise to the occasion. How do you make sure you're part of the people that, that rise as opposed to crumble? Uh, it's, it's in your spirit. It's in your spirit. Uh, I, I I was telling him yesterday, my, my friend Tony sitting right there right now. I uh, My father passed away. I was depressed for about five years. Not clinical taking pills. Yeah. I was just in a funk. I was, I was talking to people. I was going to work and coming home, but I was not totally there. And my baby sister, my sister was a baby, baby at the time. And I just thought, I got to take care of her. I got to make sure she's good. Mm. And that's when the wheels started moving to like really you know, get myself going again. And then it was, okay, so, you know, life's fucked up. It's unpredictable. You know, no, none of us saw this coming with my pops passing. And then it was like, okay, what are we going to do now? And then it was, I'm going to live my dream. I was working at a, I had a, I had a decent job. Um, the last job I had before stand-up comedy, I worked at uh, AIG Insurance, Third largest insurance company in the world. That's what it was. And they, they, you were on like a bunch of insurance YouTube clips. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. like they were like, yeah, I thought American, like, is this American guy, family. Does like the insurance industry sponsor yeah, everything they this guy the does? <laughs> they sponsored the comedy show. Yeah. So I was, I was, uh, I was just like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live that life that I always thought about. I'm gonna live the, I'm gonna chase the dream now. And then I started focusing on, you know, just getting myself together and, I got a job so I could do stand-up. And I got another job so I could be free to do stand-up at night. I got this job so I could be free to do stand-up at night. Then I got this AIG job through a job I had. I was working in a restaurant. I was like a catering manager. And a guy that came in the restaurant every day happened to work for AIG. And we would talk all the time. And he's like, hey, man, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I just, wanna, I just need to make some money so I can do stand-up. And he's like, all right, well, there might be a position open at AIG. I'll check. You know, send me your resume. I'll check. Long story short, I got the job at AIG. But it was a department I worked in was 24-hour department. It was 8 to 4, 4 to 12, 12 to 8. So originally, I was 8 to 4. Fine. I'm off at 4. I go home, take a nap, eat, stand up all night. Then they promoted, quote-unquote, promoted me, but put me on the 4 to 12 slot. I'm, I'm fucked for stand-up. So yeah. I would, hey, I got to come in. I got to leave an hour early. I got to take Tuesday off because I got to do this. And I got to, Wednesday, I have to leave at 8 because I have to be in Jersey by, and my boss he asked me one day, uh, are you making enough money chasing? He said, are you making enough money chasing this dumb dream that you don't need to work here? And I said, no, but if I don't take the chance, I never will. And he kind of sounded, it just sounded like he was talking down to me and it was a white guy. So it didn't feel good in that aspect. He said, this job feeds you. And I just was like, oh man, that sounded like, maybe I'm taking it differently because <laughs> an older white guy saying this, but he said, this job feeds you. So you should give this job more consideration. So you go back to your desk, you think for a minute and tell me what you want to do. 
and I sat at my desk and it was April, it was April 14th on a Wednesday. I remember because my brother's birthday is April 16th. It was April, Wednesday, April 14th. And I walked back in his office five minutes later and he said, uh, what'd you decide? And I said, Friday will be my last day. Wow. And I, Friday was my last day. I, I went to work and I worked the whole shift and nobody knew what was going on. And towards the end of my shift, I started having a bathroom key and my taking pictures down at the cubicle and throwing them in the garbage. And here's a calendar if you wanted. And here's this. And hey, he want these pencils and here's a pen. And I walked out the office and I started walking to the train station. And I told myself, if you look back at the building, if you look back at the building, you'll end up back in the building. So I just kept walking straight to the train station. April 16th, my brother's birthday. And then stand-up was all day, all, it was 24 hours stand-up. Every day, all day. We didn't go on any dates. It was like if a girl wanted to date us, you had to come meet me at my house and we bounce around the city to do my spots. That was a date. If you wanted to hang out with me, you had to meet me at a comedy club. I'm not stepping out of the comedy club for as long as it takes. This is going to be every day, all day. We would come into the city. We would buy two tokens. We lived in, Sherrod and I lived in Brooklyn at the time. We would buy two tokens, come into the city, and we would walk to all our spots. So we would stop at 24th Street, do a spot at Gotham. Walk to 61st Street to do a spot at Dangerfields. Walk from 61st to 82nd to do a spot at the Strip. Get a ride from another comic across town to stand up New York to 79th. Do a set. Walk back down to like 42nd. Come across 42nd. Go down to the cellar. Do a set at the cellar. The cellar would pay us in six chicken wings. Do a spot at 3 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning. You would, they, they wouldn't give you money. They would give you six chicken wings. So we get all the money from Gotham and the Strip and Stella and no, Dangerfields and, and uh, New York Comedy Club. So we had about $50, $60 into the night. Get the six wings. That's dinner. The other token, back to Brooklyn. Every day we did that. Every day. I'm, I'm actually also more impressed that with seven brothers, you remember the birthday of one of your oh, brothers. Oh, all my brothers, yeah. So, I remember all my brothers' birthdays. So, so would you go on like six, seven times a night, like every day? I would go on stage five times a night. And some weekends, we would try to do 10. Because uh, I think Dave Attell has the record for 10 spots on a Saturday or Friday or Saturday. I, th I think it's either Dave Attell or Greg Giraldo, may he rest in peace, has the record for 10 or 11 spots in one night. And we, was, we would try to beat that every weekend. We would try to beat it. I think the most we did was probably eight. So we would do the eight o'clock show at the Strip and the 10 o'clock show. Are you still doing uh, stand-up? I will never stop doing You're doing like Radio City March 31st, No, right? I'm doing Madison Square Garden Madison March Square Garden. 31st. Yeah. Oh, Madison Square yeah. Garden. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, well, Radio right. City's coming soon. <laughs> well, Madison Square Garden is bigger. It's, it's big, yes. So how many does Radio City fit? I don't know. I never did it's play like Radio three City. Three or 4,000? I think Madison Square Garden is 20,000, 30,000? No, no, no. I think we're doing the theater at Madison Square Garden. It's probably 2,500. All right, still. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, I'm on tour with Mike Epps, so uh, it's... It's, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Coming home, man. I'm, I'm, I'm that that show. I'm already writing new material for that. show. Are we, Steve? Are we going to that? What's? Did you get tickets for this from his publicist? You got tickets. Right. Good, good, good. So, so listen. You're doing um, living biblically, which which I love, and and AJ, I've been friends with forever. Yes. I'm so happy his book has been made into a show. Johnny Galicki loved the book. He talked about the book every day when we were shooting. The pilot. It's such a great book. I think I think of AJ Jacobs as like a modern Mark Twain. Like he's just such a great humorist like that everybody could relate to and he right. throws instead of just writing some academic text about the bible he just threw himself into it like and he lived such a crazy life for that year and i'm so glad you're so you're now in that is show. he back to living a just doing a ring living, i don't want to say normal but is he not doing that anymore he's not doing that no so he's just a normal guy walking the streets of new york city now well i wouldn't say he's normal but yes <laughs> he he's an experimenter so he'll then the next year was like okay i'm gonna just every day 
be, you know, his next book was Drop Dead Healthy. So he's just going to live like what would the healthiest person in the world do every single day? So he's like exercise, you know, and he's wow. not, like, he doesn't look like the most fit guy. So he's exercising yeah, yeah. and eating. And then he did um, the Know It All where he reads the encyclopedia from A to Z, the Britannica encyclopedia from wow. A to Z. And then he did My Life as an Experiment, which is just a bunch of articles. And then his latest one, which was great, was um, Everything is Relative, uh, where he basically shows how everybody in the world is related. And he broke the world record for largest family reunion. So wow. it's very, very clever guy. AJ is an interesting guy, like you said. So living biblically, the the Mondays NBA at nine thirty CBS T, CBS uh, Mondays at nine thirty on CBS Living Biblically, Thursdays at seven thirty to eight streaming live on Twitter or NBATV.com. The warm up, uh, Black Card Revoked every Thursday at ten p.m. on BET. Uh, touring with Mike Epps. Uh, it's called the Platinum Comedy Tour. Myself, Mike Epps, D. Ray Davis. Do you feel? Did you ever get burnt out like doing all these different things? No, but they're all no, kind of like balanced no, a little no, bit. No, not at all. Not at all. And then probably in the middle, I used you're to doing... have nothing. Hmm? I, I just remember that I used to have nothing. So it's, again, it's the I gratitude. used to put my bikes together. I used to borrow a tire from this guy and that guy, and find a broken down bike in the park, and get some screws from the guy at the at the tire shop, and put a bike together to to have a bike. Now this is not. No, this is this is it. This, this is, is good. This is the way I'm supposed and to be. And it's just moving, yeah, moving forward, moving forward, onward and upward. Well, Tony Rock, thanks so much for for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. And I really appreciate. it. I hope you. You I should hope you really write some bits down about public speaking. You know, okay, there's public speaking. There's the Airbnbs. I've um, made and and lost to zero millions of dollars. I've never spoken about this on stage. Um, Wait, lost? Lost is like something bad happened. Yeah. Like I, so I sold my first company in the '90s, made like uh, 15 million, lost all of it to the point of zero. How'd I lost my house. Lost everything. it per on purpose or no? No, just I mean, I didn't like drop it in the subway or anything, but just <laughs> lost it. Like I made bad investments, made bad decisions, did everything. 15 bad. million, you lo you yeah. made bad investments with twice. 15? So may I ask <laughs> to, what the to investments zero. were? Uh, like from that point to zero dollars. Wait, may I ask what the investments were? Uh, I some of it was real estate. Some of it was just. How could you make a bad real estate investment? That's the I, that's foolproof. I, okay, I bought a block away from the World Trade Center right before nine eleven, oh, okay. and right when all of, and then I bought every internet stock right at the same time when all the internet stocks were falling, and just boom! I didn't know anything about investing at the time. Wow. It was like eighteen years ago. Yeah, see, I'm real estate because that's the only. I don't know stocks at all. Stocks is. It's like, you know, Chinese arithmetic to me. I didn't know anything. So I'm like, real estate, I understand. I buy a building, I, approve, I improve it, I sell it for more, I get it. I'll do that, I get it. But stocks, I don't play around. Well, I, I mixed the two at the worst time in the worst location. Wow. So that was time number one, then there was time you number two, then there was time number three. Near the World Trade Center on 9-10. Yeah, basically. Wow. Well, I, I, remember, I remember, I'll just tell you this. 1999, I bought it, and I even said to the real estate agent, what if terrorists hit the World Trade Center? What's going to happen to this property? And she said, quite wisely, uh, you can't live your life that way. And wow. <laughs> I bought it and lost it. I wonder where she is right now. She moved, I, I know where she is. She moved about 80 miles north and is a real estate agent there. <laughs> wow, you can't live your life that way. So, Wow, well, that's, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, last question. Out of all these things you do, what's always... Stand-up is first and foremost. Stand-up is the reason everything else is possible. Everything that's, every good thing, not, not everything, but 90% of all the good things that have happened to me in my career happened because somebody saw me doing stand-up. I was on a sitcom a few years ago called All of Us. Yeah, with Will Smith? Will, Will, Will Smith, executive, executive mm -hmm. produced. 
the casting director was at the Laugh Factory one night. I was on stage. I got off stage and she said, you know what? Will Smith is producing a TV show. You would be great for this character. I went in and got it. I hosted Apollo Live, the revamping of uh, Showtime at the Apollo. Yeah. Jamie Foxx was at the Laugh Factory one night, saw me doing stand-up and gave me the job. No audition. He said, I love the way you handled the room. The way I was doing crowd work. Handed me a job. So stand-up, I have associated good things happening with me being on stage all the time. Do you realize uh, everybody, every person I've had on here who's gone on to TV, movies, whatever, who start off at stand-up, they always say stand-up. So Paul Reiser, for instance, said yeah. stand-up yeah. first. Stand-up always first. Because stand-up is, is what you really started out wanting to do. Then these doors open. And, and it's you, more visceral, too. And you say, too. hey, I'll do this. I'll, I'll, I'll give acting a shot or I'll give this a shot. But you really started out loving stand-up. If you didn't start out loving it, then you might say something else. But I, that's where I, I, I came for stand-up. I get to go to these other parties, sure, but I came to this party. Excellent. Well, thanks again, Tony. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you on the appreciate show. It. Hope thanks you so come much. on again. Thank you so much. And if you like listening to this, subscribe to The James Altucher Show wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks. 